Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. Religion for Life covers a lot of topics, and including the intersection of different faith traditions. My guest is Russell Paul. Russell Paul has been presenting world-class concerts and leading-edge seminars across the United States and Canada for the last 23 years. His expertise, the yoga of sound, blends art, education, and spirituality in a holistic and evolutionary approach toward enhanced health and well-being. He's recognized as a forerunner in this field. Russell is the author of the groundbreaking literary work, The Yoga of Sound, Tapping the Hidden Power of Music and Chant, and Jesus in the Lotus, the Mystical Doorway Between Christianity and Yogic Spirituality. He's also the music producer of several acclaimed chant CDs. Russell's unusual background includes training as a monk and yogi in India, as well as performing music professionally and recording in the film industry in India. After moving to the United States, he served on the faculty of leading-edge educational institutions in California, teaching in graduate and postgraduate spirituality programs for 15 consecutive years. Now his innovative Yogic Mystery School allows students from any part of the world to study with him. And the exciting part is that he's going to be in Johnson City, Tennessee, April 26th through the 28th. A friend of mine, Rebecca Nunley has uh, put this program together. It's a retreat, lecture, workshop, and concert. That is April 26th through the 28th. You can find more information and register if you'd like at his website, russellpaul.com, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-P-A-U-L.com. And he is with me via Skype from his home in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Russell, to Religion for Life. Thank you, John. Good to be here with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're you're a native of India. You, You grew up uh, in a Christian home, but developed an interest in Indian spirituality. Uh, your life seems to be kind of a blending or a dance or, or to use a musical metaphor, perhaps a harmony between these two forms of spirituality. Uh, very true, very true. And part of that also comes from my ancestry. My mother's uh, family uh, was Hindu, and so that's there also within the ancestral background, genetically, if you will. But yes, I grew up in a Christian family. My 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 dad was a very devout uh, Christian uh, t- until the end of his life, and I I really learned a lot from, especially from him, I'd say, because he took his uh, his he took his Christianity very seriously. And then um, in the latter part of my life, I I became a monk, and that was in a Benedictine monastery. Um, which was also Christian, but then had this very strong connection to Indian spirituality at the same time. So yes, it's been this this dance, this harmony, um, and uh, in many ways uh, a complementarity because of how they um, they can feed each other. Now, in some cases, I'm thinking that they might necessarily, and you write this in your book uh, about Jesus and the Lotus, that these two traditions uh, might be suspicious of one another. And of course, they, we've had all the whole history of certainly of, of, of uh, occup- occupation of India uh, by those of the Christian religion. And so uh, has that also produced some tension out of which you've found the need to blend, and or maybe not blend is the right word, but uh, the need to hear both traditions? 
Yes, definitely. And you're right about the tensions. However, the tensions really go back to the 15th century, which is the, since the arrival of the Portuguese and the beginning of what we could call the promulgation of Latin Christianity. Hmm. Christianity, however, has a much longer presence in India going back, presumably to the time of St. Thomas himself, but certainly at least till the third or fourth century, at least from some Thomistic school that arrived there. So we've got about a thousand years of, uh, let's say, an Eastern Christianity, very close to the original church uh, that developed through Asia Minor right after Jesus' death. That kind of church had a different integration, we could say, in India, much more peaceful because it didn't have a, a kind of colonial element to it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't have a military presence. It was purely a lived presence that people... Uh, you know, they 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 uh, shared their Christian values and, and, and introduced Indians to Christianity, but through a lived Christianity and without that 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 military presence that was part of it, or a business presence as with the East India Company. And that was so there too. And that was the Christianity that uh, you grew up with that your father had embraced. My father actually was more the conventional conventional Christian. I mean, he, in his in his uh, his family was both Anglican as well as uh, Roman Catholic, and so he he came from a very strong conventional Christian background, and certainly you know didn't <laughs> I would say didn't see any value in, in Indian spirituality. Certainly, the suspicion you could say of um, of all things uh, Hindu. For, for example. So yes, there was that tension with him um, and therefore something that, you know, did affect me when I was growing up as a child um, because, of course, you know, we we lived in a Hindu area. I went to a Hindu school, had all Hindu friends. When it came to spirituality, of course, uh, my father's uh, contention was, you know, that was, not, that was not a good place to be. It wasn't spiritual. Uh, however, Interestingly, my mentor, who, who was British, um, Beat Griffiths, took a very different stand, and he came from the position that there was a lot. He, he was a post-Vatican II, one of the, you know, we could say even pioneering people from that, uh, from that moment who took to heart uh, the mission of looking for what is good and true and holy in other traditions and seeing how it could complement or enrich or throw light upon our own tradition. And so it was very fortuitous, I'd say, that I, or I should say grace, that led me there. And mm -hmm. uh, that helped me tremendously, let's say, with the intellectual, philosophical, and even the practical dimension of being able to explore uh, the wealth spiritual wealth of what Indian spirituality can offer, um, while at the same time recognizing that there are parts of it, just as there are parts of it, you know, within Christianity um, that are, you know, a little dark. You know, there, I, I sometimes, you know, use the expression, it's not always the best, but the, <laughs> there are people like the mafia, for instance, who are not very good, um, let's say, representations of what Christianity is about when you look at the whole, every aspect of their life. And in that sense, you know, we have, we have to look at light and compare it to the light in other traditions and then look at the shadow in a tradition and compare it to the shadow in other traditions. And that level playing field hasn't always been the case in the past, but more now, I think. 
So what do you think in, uh, in your work as uh, being trained both as a yogi and as a Benedictine monk, uh, doing this harmony between Christianity and Indian spirituality? What, what can Indian spirituality learn from Christianity, and what have you found that Christianity might be able to learn from Indian spirituality? Okay, that's a really excellent, excellent question. And I think the main thing that, uh, to put it in the sequence you asked the question, Hinduism can benefit very greatly from Christianity through the, through the element of God's forgiveness and God's grace. Now, these elements are there. This is very important to recognize that these elements are there, but Hinduism is like the quintessential world religions uh, consortium because it's got so many different ways and means and sects and, and even whole religions, if you will, within it. But so therefore... From the Hindu perspective, one might point and say, well, here it exists in, within this part of Hinduism. But in Christianity, it pervades all of Christianity. And so that's why uh, it, it, when we speak of this, we can really say that Hinduism in general can benefit because the predominance is on the, what's the word, the doctrine of karma, if you will. We reap the fruits of what we sow. However, the great uh, revelation that comes to us in Christianity, despite all that we do that is wrong, deliberately wrong, or through ignorance, whatever, there is this principle of God's forgiving grace and mercy and love. And when we go to God with that purity of heart, that that can be completely forgiven. In other words, that our karmic baggage can be dissolved through God's grace, through opening our hearts. That is a phenomenal uh, gift, we could say, that comes very clearly, very strongly, and, and is at the heart of Jesus' revelation. And so that principle is one of the most powerful gift givers, we could say, to any to anybody who's caught in this cycle of karma and feels like, well, I've got, I've got to kind of work it out, or I've got to do it all through my practice, my discipline, my asceticism, whatever. Um, here we have a principle that says it can be instantly dissolved through the principle of grace and mercy. Now, <clears throat> From the other side, in terms of um, what Christianity can can learn from the Indian spiritual tradition, in a broad sense, we could say the the methodology of yoga, which is perhaps best descriptive of the Indian spiritual way. And yoga is a broad term, and we just don't want to associate it as it is often associated with just stretches and, and postures. Yoga really means a way. Mm. a way of harmony. And so there's a way of holding oneself. There's a way of easing oneself into a state of prayerfulness. And that's really what yoga is about. And we often miss that, that the postures are really an assist, a way of assisting the state of prayer and learning to be with God, we could say, <clears throat> for long periods of time, without expectation of wanting things from God, but just being with God's presence, hanging out with God, if you will. Now, one of the things we find out if we're not trained in yogic practice is that our mind gets very active, and we really do not know how to be with God apart from talking to God. So that's one of the gifts, we could say, of the Indian spiritual tradition. It introduces us of to ways of being with God, experiencing God that are not just limited to conversation with God or asking God or telling God things, but actually being with God in a way that the mind is very cooperative and there's a minimum amount of 
mental activity that's disturbing that experience. Sort of learn. It's like learning to uh, have a way to control your children so that you can be in the same room with other people and have gr- and and have a great experience with somebody else while your children are not a real disturbance. You know, unruly children, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it's like having well-trained children to be able to train the mind. That's that's really a good analogy for yoga, where you're learning to train parts of the mind, parts of the self that would otherwise prevent us from hanging out with God, with God's presence for a long period. And that's what Christianity uh, could draw from Hinduism or Indian spirituality in general, that uh, that aspect of, of a way, a quiet way perhaps, or different kinds of ways, but ways of really being with, being present with. I think so. And this is, again, you see, not to say that we don't, there are no ways in Christianity to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Where I think the Indian spiritual tradition of what it offers us, especially in a modern day, I think that's the point. You know, we live such busy lifestyles, we get stressed out. When we actually sit down and want to pray, you know, we deal with a lot of the momentum of our lives, the way Western society is structured. And that's really where the tools of Indian spirituality can be a big asset. And it's got nothing to do with people's faith. It doesn't interfere with people's faith. And that's the good thing. Yoga and the Indian spiritual tradition doesn't dictate that you have to not believe or you have to believe in something else, person or deity or whatever, in order to to use these tools. So you can use the tools free. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is Russell Paul, and he's the author of Jesus in the Lotus, The Mystical Doorway Between Christianity and Yogic Spirituality, and The Yoga of Sound, Tapping the Hidden Power of Music and Chant. And so uh, there are many different types of yoga, many different paths, and one of them that you have uh, studied and worked with is sound. Tell us a little bit about The Yoga of Sound. Yes. Uh, first of all, it's uh, worth looking at Indian spirituality in general, which is fascinatingly a, an experience that is built upon sound. If you look deep into the Indian spiritual tradition, you actually find that there exists a sonic theology upon which the whole experience is based. And this Sonic theology is based. You can you can even look to John one as a reference. You know, the sense that um, in the beginning was in the, the beginning. Word. Yes, yeah. in the beginning was the word. Yes, and this sense that all of us exist, all of creation exists, because God speaks us into existence. God wills us into existence through the voice through intention, through will, and through being uh, able to, to, to create that. And so there is the sense that this vibrational quality of the word, the divine word in which all of us exists, becomes a medium through which we can understand, experience God, experience ourselves, and learn how to live in harmony with other people, with all of creation, and with God through this this theology of the word, for instance. So in, in that sense, you can find that commonality. But it goes into great depth, of course, and over many thousands of years, literally, um, there has evolved many techniques in which word and sound and also music uh, can be used in this spiritual way to know God, to love God, to express one's uh, devotion to God, um, and, and much more. I'm just giving you uh, a little idea here, but formally, formally, around 2,000 years ago, there developed an actual yoga of sound, literally nada yoga, 
the word nada is a word for sound. It means pitch. It means drone. It means sound. It means rushing, droning, uh, all of these things. It's a, it's a beautiful, rich word. So nada yoga means a yoga or a way, a way of harmony in which sound is the medium through which the sacred is experienced. And you will be offering a Yoga of Sound uh, in Johnson City, among other places, but in Johnson City, uh, Tennessee, April 26th through the 28th. And what can people expect um, at that retreat in Johnson City or in other places where you will be leading uh, these kinds of retreats? Yes, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Rebecca Nunley, has actually put together a phenomenal collection of uh, events over the course of the weekend. It's almost like a a, a large buffet, if you will. Mm -hmm. So there's so much. uh, On a Friday evening, there's a lecture demo in which people can have an introduction to this very rich tradition and what what they can learn to know, I mean, what they can benefit, how they can benefit from sound as a spiritual path. And this is more a, as a, you know, a lecture or demonstration in which ideas are presented and people can kind of experience with some interactive uh, content, some actual chanting that they could try. And then Saturday morning, she's put together, uh, it's actually part of an East-West conference that's been in place um, where we were looking at music as a means. So various types of music from around the spiritual traditions of the world and how they speak to this central experience of sound being the medium of prayer. And then there's a concert on Saturday. And then afternoon, there's a workshop uh, where chant, we focus on chant. Uh, as a means of healing and as a means of enlightenment, they, because they're both two sides of the same coin, healing and enlightenment. You can't have one without the other. And then Friday, Saturday evening is a concert, and the concert is part performance and part, part interactive. People actually get to chant along with some wonderful, wonderful musicians. There's uh, Daniel Berber coming out from uh, Jubilee Church in uh, in Asheville and some other musicians as well. So it's going to be a wonderful evening of uh, performance and and interactive chant. And then Sunday is dedicated to Yogic Mystery School, which is uh, it's actually an online program, spirituality program, in which sound is is presented as a as a viable and powerful means of spiritual practice, daily spiritual practice. But this Sunday workshop goes gives people a live experience of wh- how they could use sound in their spiritual lives beneficially um, for for health, for well-being, for prayer. Uh, for calming them, calming themselves down, for gaining energy, for releasing, um, you know, unwanted negative emotions, if you will, various practical, it's a very practical method that uh, we're using. And so people over the course of this weekend, if they do the whole weekend, uh, will certainly gain a panoramic sense of all the possibilities and applications of what sound can, can be used for uh, in one's spiritual life. Russell Paul will be uh, uh, in Johnson City April 26th through the 28th uh, for that weekend, russellpaul.com for information about that. Can you give us a little bit, a little hint, a little taste, a little sound of um, perhaps a chant or something like that that people might experience or use in daily practice? Sure. Um, let's, uh, let me do it in a way that people can compare uh, the two together. Um, now, 
one of the most well-known well-known prayers or chants in 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 the Christian tradition that goes way back is the Kyrie, and it's a beautiful. It's it's in Greek, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, and it means you know, Lord have mercy on me, Christ have mercy on me. It's a beautiful prayer because it brings us into the presence of God, and then. Because we are recognizing our need for God's mercy, that opens our hearts in a specific way. Now, oftentimes, what facilitates feeling in music are the set of musical intervals that are used. That's one part. The other part is the language. And one of the, um, what we learn when we start to use sound as our spiritual path is the value of ancient language. And it could be Aramaic, it could be Greek, it could be Latin, uh, but it could, and it could also be Sanskrit. And my specialty is the Sanskrit language, its phonetics and its its spiritual power and what it could offer us. So in this little segment, we'll we'll take Sanskrit, and we'll we'll also take the Kyrie, and you'll understand what it could do for us. And the difference is ancient language or what we would call mantric language versus regular English. And it's just simply that the vibrations of English is something we use in everyday life. Oftentimes when we use it for spiritual purposes, it may not have quite the same level of depth that ancient languages offer us. So that's what this would be. And hopefully... Uh, through this teeny tiny little <laughs> microphone that I'm speaking through, uh, uh, you have some uh, some sense of it. But of course, when we when we do it in a live situation, it's it's so much fuller and and richer, and we will be in a larger room. Russell Paul on Religion for Life. Russell, can you tell me what that instrument was? Yes, uh, the instrument is called a tanpura. 
it's a four-stringed uh, drone uh, instrument that's uh, that's tuned octave and uh, it's tonic two two uh, two strings to tune on the fundamental one on the lower octave and then there's the fifth and they're all resonating one into the other and it creates this very kind of rich supportive uh, drone-like sound uh, and it's wonderful to sing both Gregorian chant as well as uh, Sanskrit chant which well, is kind of similar to what we did just now and you can feel it, I can, even, even with all of this technology from Austin, Texas, to Johnson City, Tennessee, and microphones and computers and Skype, I can still feel the vibration there uh, in that sound. And I can imagine that it's even far richer and deeper uh, in person. Oh, yes. And I bring a, a whole lot of other instruments as well. So uh, there's a lot of instrumentation during the music making, you know, just to um, make it so much more musically richer for people when they're chanting. Russell Paul, uh, author of The Yoga of Sound, Tapping the Hidden Power of Music and Chant, and Jesus in the Lotus, The Mystical Doorway Between Christianity and Yogic Spirituality. And he is going to be, again, in Johnson City, April 26th through the 28th for a wonderful weekend. And I'm very uh, pleased to uh, have had you with me on my program. Thank you very much. Good to be with you, John. Thank you, too. Again, for more information about that conference and to register, go to russellpaul.com. R-U-S-S-I-L-L-P-A-U-L dot com. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find more information about my congregation at www.fpcelizabethton.org. Information about programs on Religion for Life, including descriptions of upcoming shows and uh, articles of interest, as well as links to podcasts, can be found at religionforlife.com. Also follow Religion for Life on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Be well.
Did it